Hello, this is David Perlman uh, for TheWholeNote.com and I'm in conversation with Austin Clarkson. And our immediate context is an upcoming concert that you're curating. Is that the right word? I think that it's is a the good, right the word, right yes. Yeah. So let's start there and circle back to it. <clears throat> that concert is uh, going to be at the Betty Oliphant Theatre, mm -hmm. the National Ballet School, on October 6th. Okay. And I proposed the program to our artistic director, Bob Aitken. Of New Music Concerts. Of New Music Concerts, mm -hmm. last, well, last year. And um, he liked the idea very much, and so here we go. And the title of the concert? And uh, Stefan meets Anton and Morty meets John, Stefan. meaning Stefan Volpe meets mm -hmm. Anton Webern, mm -hmm. and Morty Feldman meets John Cage. All right. So that is the, the program I devised was to show the impact of Webern on Volpe when he studied with him in 1933, mm -hmm. And then subsequently, the impact of Volpe on Morty Feldman, who studied with him from 44 to about 49. And then the impact of Morty Feldman, mutually, on John Cage. Okay. When they met in 1950. And the pieces I chose were a concerto for nine instruments that Volpe wrote while he was studying with Webern. And that's in Berlin in, in the Berlin. 30s? No, in Vienna. He in was Vienna. studying in Vienna. Uh -huh. uh, he'd arrived in Vienna as a refugee from Nazi Berlin mm -hmm. uh, just in September of 1933. And he had three months with Webern before the Austrian police expelled him from Austria mm -hmm. with a threat to deport him back to Germany. And so in those three months, he composed this concerto for nine instruments. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, curiously enough, Webern was composing his own concerto, which turned out to be for nine instruments eventually. And when he, Volpe was, uh, I'll just go through the rest of the program before right. coming back to that concerto. So there are those two key, key pieces. The, Volpe Concerto and the Webern Concerto, both for nine instruments, almost exactly the same instruments. Which is always a good premise for a concert because Which it allows you to assemble your core. always likes to yes, have I expect so. more value from his musicians. Sure. And then um, the next piece, chronologically, is John Cage's String Quartet mm -hmm. for, for a string quartet. And it's a piece he wrote beginning in Paris when he was there on a fellowship to study at the Bibliothèque Nationale the music of Satie. But while he was there, he met Boulez mm -hmm. and he went to the studio of uh, Messiaen and played his sonatas and interludes and began this string quartet. And he finished it the next year in 1950. In the meantime, 
he had met Morton Feldman mm -hmm. at a concert in Carnegie Hall mm -hmm. conducted by Dmitri Metropolis with the New York Philharmonic playing the Webern Symphony Opus 21. Mm -hmm. They both left the concert at the same time and Morty went up to John and said, wasn't that beautiful? Uh -huh. Because he had already seen John Cage at a meeting at one of the musicals at the Volpe apartment uptown and had not spoken to him, but this time he spoke to him. So they left at the same time early, the one version of that story that Alex Ross quotes in, in his book is, mm -hmm. uh, uh, is both angry at the reaction of the audience to the, to the Webern piece, which sounds as if it was being placed in that mandatory before the intermission slot for new music, right. which still right. seems to be the case. Right. Uh, but sorry, so, you, so go, go on with it. So Feldman at that time mm -hmm. was writing a string quartet also, which he came to call Structures. Mm -hmm. And he, by that time, had left the Volpa studio. He wasn't taking lessons anymore. And he was kind of trying to find his own way, very much involved with the New York painters. And so Cage invited him to his apartment down on the East River and show, Morty showed him this draft of this string quartet. And Cage said, well, how did you make that? He was fascinated. And Morty said, I don't know. Huh. So this, this was not a, con not a conventional score. Uh, oh, yes, it was. It was a conventional yeah, yeah. score, was it? Um, in fact, I brought it if you want to see it. OK, we can read <clears> it after. Um, and so, but actually Morty knew pretty much what he was composing because I've analyzed it and I can see how he was adapting Volpe's way of working with shapes mm -hmm. for his own kind of imagination. So then they hit it off and Feldman really became a member of the Cage Circle and, um, but he said Volpe was totally okay with that. Mm -hmm. And he was totally open. He didn't feel aggrieved or somehow that Feldman had let him down. So Feldman then worked with Cage. Mm -hmm. Not worked with him, but kind of was in his circle with the artists and going to the artist club downtown on 8th Street and developing his unique imagination in a way that Volpe hadn't yet been able to support. And the curious thing is that in the later 50s, Volpe came to see the virtue of the kind of music that Feldman was writing and developed his own notion of mm. what he called the discontinuum. And so the final piece on the program is going to be this piece for chamber orchestra, chamber piece number one, mm -hmm. in Volpe's late style, which 
is like moment form. Each moment is kind of unto itself. And this is a Feldman? <clears throat> no, this is Volpe's This is Volpe's own late work. Yeah, a late oh, piece. Okay, so there's, there's a cycle to So is, there is this like leapfrogging mm -hmm. series of interactions, which I really am very interested in hearing in one program. Right. Oh, that sounds like a really nice shape to it. Yeah. But your relationship with new music concerts goes back. Goes back, I would say, that. about 24, five years. Really? Yeah. So to the early, the, so, so the fact that, that Cage in Canada and new music concerts, oh, yeah. there's a whole lot of autobiography in, in this, Indeed, isn't there? right. I knew Morton Feldman very well. Mm -hmm. and. John Cage, I knew also. He would often visit York University, right. where I taught for 25 years. Right. And um, David Tudor also, who was the pianist, who mm. actually was like the linchpin between the Cage and Volpe groups, because mm -hmm. he played all their music. So Volpe is pivotal for you in all of this, I sense, because his music is, he's, in, in a funny way, he, he's mentioned all the time, but in the context of other people's music. And yeah. it seems like two lives where he was the odd man out, first mm. in, in Europe, and I suspect his politics had something to do with that. Very and then much. when he got to the States, again, his politics in the McCarthy era would have made him almost in a funny mirror situation, the odd man out all again. But when did you discover his work? Well, I discovered his work in, um, in Sam's record shop when it was on uh, Long College Street, west, west of Bathurst. Hmm. And it was 1957 or six when I was working in Saskatchewan at the University of Saskatchewan in Saskatoon, my first job. Mm -hmm. after graduating from Eastman. And I was thumbing through the new releases and I picked up this LP and saw the face of this composer in many different angles and moods, from laughing, from looking very pensive, from, and he had an open shirt and he was so out there. Mm -hmm. I thought, this must be interesting. So I turned it over, and there Aaron Copeland had um, a blurb saying that Volpe was one of the most important composers of this um, era. So I thought, well, I'll try this. And I took it home and played it. And I thought it was absolutely bizarre. I could not understand it. Mm -hmm. I had gotten as far as Bartok and Stravinsky. Mm -hmm. I had written my thesis on Stravinsky's Symphony in Three Movements. But Volpe was beyond that. And when I played it for my friends, they thought this is absolutely ridiculous. So then I get to New York and I'm studying for my doctorate at Columbia. And my roommate, who was a pianist teaching at, uh, studying and teaching at Juilliard, said, uh, would I like to join a small group of students who are studying with this composer who needs money because he's very poor. And uh, my girlfriend is uh, a student of his wife's. And I said, well, what's his name? And he said, Stefan Volpe. I said, well, 
I think that would be extremely interesting because all I was studying at Columbia was medieval and Renaissance music. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to, I loved contemporary music. So it was uh, a big relief from my studies. So that's how I got in touch. And so through Volpe's music, did you find, I mean, where did Webern fit into this? Was he already part of the accepted Weber was a mysterious or? figure for me at that time. Mm -hmm. uh, we studied, Volpe would study Schoenberg a lot with his students and Webern. Mm -hmm. But at that particular class, he chose Schoenberg. Okay. So we studied Opus 11, Opus 16, and um, with, we were analyzing the piano pieces. But to, when I first went into his room, his, his uh, third floor walk-up on <clears throat> West 70th Street, um, I, it was like walking into a seismic event. This man radiated the kind of energy that you didn't believe people could provide, mm -hmm. just like an everyday thing. Also, he, ex re he revealed that music was something beyond anything I'd ever experienced up to that point. And I realized it was going to be really a life's work to become adequate to this way of being in music. Mm -hmm. So that's where it began. So I finished my PhD. He died in 1972 of Parkinson's. And I was the only musicologist really in his circle. There was one other, but she was a really terrific pianist and she was devoted to that career. <clears throat> Although she did a great deal. Um, and so it turned out that I had to become a Volpa specialist. Mm -hmm. There so didn't seem to be anybody else to do it. So, in the whole time of your association with new music concerts, has his music been featured? Oh, indeed. Many times? We, exactly 20 years ago, we did a four-day festival of Alpa's music. Okay. Where we had symposiums, seminars, uh, concerts, workshops. Um, we had a gallery of marvelous performers. Peter Serkin came up. Mm -hmm. We had um, performers coming from all over. And it, out of that, we produced a book, and there were recordings. So it was a major event. Mm -hmm. But since then, uh, not so much. Um, we've done a few pieces, but not that many. Mm -hmm. Wallace Halliday did a concert of Volpe's music. Recently? Yeah, oh, okay. with Stefan Schleiermacher's music and also Volpe. Stefan and Stefan, so we call it. Is Wallace going to be part of the ensemble I don't for this I one? I don't think you? there is a saxophone no, in any of the Unfortunately, the no. Okay. Are the nine instruments the same in the two? Uh, almost. Almost. Yeah. So who influenced who in that one? Well, who that's was the, the that teacher was the, and that's what got me started. Mm -hmm. It was a marvelous time. He wrote amazing music there. Mm -hmm. But when he, they closed their doors in 1956. He had no money, whatever. Mm -hmm. But he got a Fulbright Fellowship to Berlin. And that was his first visit back to Germany. 
which was very hard because he refused to speak German hmm. for a while, or to speak German only people to only to whom he felt they weren't Nazis at some point. Mm -hmm. Made it difficult to get a job there too. I would imagine. It was, yeah, or in Austria yeah. for that but in Germany, at the Darmstadt School, in the summers, he found a new life. Because he brought American Expressionism, mm -hmm. and there he found this Weberian structuralism, mm -hmm. and he returned to Webern in a way that he hadn't been connected for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And it was a marvelous rediscovery for him. And in fact, this piece, the chamber piece number one, we'll hear on the concert, mm -hmm. is an homage to Webern. And mm -hmm. it uses the same pitch set of, from Webern's concerto. And it starts with the same horn uh, interval that the third movement of the concerto begins with. Mm -hmm. And then later in the score, he's written, O Webern on the manuscript. Ah. So it really is so very touching to see that the journey is now somehow closed right. and that he's come to a new understanding of Webern where he can put Webern into this moment form mm -hmm. environment and still have him live and breathe. You know? It's music about music. <clears throat> In other words, um, when Webern gave his lectures, which were published as The Path to the New Music. Mm -hmm. He spoke about writers who had absolutely no idea what they were talking about when they wrote about music. And he included Schopenhauer and uh, Nietzsche and Karl Kraus, who wrote, who was the editor of this great journal that they all read. And he said, they don't know what they're talking about because they don't appreciate the idea the musical idea as a thing in and of itself, as thought. Mm -hmm. This is a piece of thought, and it's not about anything else. It is just about itself. Mm -hmm. And so that was the cause of a huge argument between Volpe and Webern when Volpe came to his first lesson. Uh, Webern was, of course, speaking for music as ab an absolute, independent art form. And Volpe wanted to see music as Gebrauchsmusik, that is music for use. It had to persuade people, it had to change people and move people and create the new man. Mm -hmm. And so they had a furious argument. And then it wasn't more than two or three weeks before Volpe had become a total convert to 12-tone music. <laughs> and in those three weeks, he had received from Webern something about his attitude to music that mm. changed him totally. And that's what uh, Feldman talks about, is the attitude. Mm -hmm. It's not the techniques, it's not the uh, devices, it's the attitude. One can, one can imagine a similar furious argument or not between Cage and, and Feldman. Well, between Cage and Volpe. They had between real Cage arguments in huh? the public. They were 
um, famous for their shouting matches. Oh, really? And they happened on the streets of New York and at conferences and at Darmstadt. And yeah, it was. Um, but the argument was never over mus whether music was pure thought in mm -hmm. itself. And that, for Cage, it had to be a piece of nature. Mm -hmm. His works, he wanted to be like the nature out there, which is exactly what Webern said. He said, um, uh, music, uh, art is an expression of nature, but as seen through human nature. Mm -hmm. And Volpe took that into his own life and they, in that, to that extent, they both agreed, Cage and Volpe. It's just they had different natures. Mm. And so their music came out totally differently. And uh, it's very interesting that um, what Feldman says is most of importance to him. And this is another way to prepare for this concert, is listening. Mm -hmm. He's concerned only what happens when you listen. And that there is a different kind of listening that happens in different kinds of music. And his kind of music demands the most extreme listening because he maybe has a sound here mm -hmm. and then nothing for a while and then another sound. And you have to figure out, well, what's happening here? What's in between? And so that listening to a Feldman piece is a totally different experience from a Volpe piece. But if you play Feldman very fast and Volpe very slow, actually you'll hear a connection. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, we haven't really covered Cage very much. Oh. Um, Cage, when Feldman writes about Cage, he talks about Cage up to the point of the string quartet, of the pieces from around 1950. And he says, Cage wrote amazing music. That is a whole period of classical Cage, mm -hmm. which people don't know much about. Because after he turned to indeterminacy, he became the Cage we all know mm -hmm. today. The cagey cage. The cagey cage. And, <laughs> but as Feldman said, the string quartet is a masterpiece. It's a classic. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we don't hear it very much because it's the, the other cage that we know more about, mm. we hear more about. And it's very interesting um, why cage moved to indeterminacy. Mm -hmm. But one of the reasons was that he received a copy of the I Ching in an English translation published by Christian Wolff's father, Kurt Wolff. Um, and Christian was only 16 or so when he came to Cage for his first lessons and gave him a copy of the I Ching. Oh, I Ching. And when he opened it up and saw this graph at the back, of all the 64 hexagrams mm. and found out how it all 
worked, that he realized this was the clue to how to organize or not organize mm. his music. And it's the, the moment, mm. and Feldman talks about the moment, and so does Cage, and so does Volpe, where that all meaning comes from the actual realization of the importance of that moment. Mm. And uh, when one consults the I Ching, as I do periodically, you realize that the question you have has um, somehow received a perfectly valid answer. Because mm. um, it's tuned you as a listener apart from anything else. That's yeah, and in that respect, <clears throat> um, Volpe and Cage were different in the way they accessed the imagination. Mm. Um, Volpe did not need the I Ching. His imagination was so hyperactive mm. that he didn't need any any stimulus to get to his creative process. Mm -hmm. He was imagining music all the time. Cage didn't do that. Uh -huh. He was much more a visual artist, actually, and a, and a philosopher, an intellectual. He was extremely um, organized in his thinking, whereas Volpe was very intuitive. So it sounds like the cage on this program is, is an interesting window into his human nature. Yes, Bec it is, because he had been studying with Schoenberg, as you probably know, uh, in California, and he was using serial kinds of procedures mm -hmm. in the string quartet. Very different from, from Schoenberg's, but... Mm -hmm. And very different from himself later on. Yeah, it's very... <clears throat> so well, it's a fascinating confluence of sounds personalities. Lovely. Yeah. Sounds lovely. Thank you so much. You're most welcome. Thank you. And thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>